Hey, coming up on the next episode of Unpolished MBA. People, as people, we become kind of a product of our environment. If we, if we hang out with people who are into tech startups and entrepreneurship, are, we'll likely level up in life. If we hang out with people who are interested in video games and smoking weed and sitting on their couch, we'll likely you know, level down in life. And I think the, the quickest way to become a loser in this world is to hang out with a bunch of losers. Welcome everyone to the Unpolished NBA. I'm your host, Monique Mills. And today I have a special thought-provoking episode. I want you to buckle up as we dive into candid conversation with Nick Huber. We're going to talk a little bit about the uncharted territories of entrepreneurship, some of the things that we typically discuss on here, some opposing viewpoints that Nick is very well known for on Twitter. So I'm going to share all of his stuff once we get further in and in the show notes. But right now, I just want to introduce him to the podcast. Hello, Nick. Thanks for joining today. Monique, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being here. You are no stranger to disrupting the status quo. And I want to just start with your tag, your username, right, on Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sweaty startup. Sweaty startup. So tell, tell me a little bit about how you came about like creating that name and also is a trademark. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship. I'm a big fan of small business. I think it's, it's a great way to, you know, change the trajectory of your family and your life, as you know, and as a lot of people in your audience know, it's just a, a really, uh, you know, something that we're passionate about. All of us are. Yeah. And but but when most people think about entrepreneurship, they think about, you know, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Shark Tank, Venture Capital, you know, Crunchbase, Product Hunt, all those, all these, you know, kind of new idea, revolutionary, scalable business models. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff is great. I know a lot of people who have done really well in those areas, but I'm a fan of good old fashioned small business. And if you close your computer and you look outside in your town, at all the companies conducting business right now. I'm talking about, you know, your local brick and mortars, your local service companies, your home service companies, services uh, in general of all types. All right, let's take a moment to thank the biggest sponsor of the Unpolished MBA. That's TPM Focus. TPM Focus is a strategy consulting firm that helps startups and small business owners generate revenue and find their way to profitability when they're launching a new product or in a new market. So reach out to tpmfocus.com. TPM stands for the Profit Matters Focus.com. There's a really good opportunity to build wealth that way that a lot of really smart, you know, bright entrepreneurs overlook. And my story is no different. I started a pickup and delivery moving and storage company. Grew that over the first five years of my career. We had some money sitting sitting on the side and and we got into the real estate game and built a self-storage facility from the ground up. And we've scaled up a real estate private equity company to 63 properties and 45 employees and $100 million of self-storage under management. And since then, I've invested and started in several you know, several other companies, all yeah. services, uh, recruiting, you know, website development, SEO. Oh, we're going to uh, dig into that. Yeah. So a lot of question oh. for you coming up because you have a lot of businesses that are interrelated. Which is very smart. Nick, I just want to ask you real quick. How old are you? I just turned 34 two weeks ago. And when did you start? 
I started my first business as a 21-year-old, a junior in college at Cornell in Ithaca. All right. The reason I asked you your age is because most folks your age, and especially when you were 21, were interested in like the whole tech start, you know, the whole startup scene. Like that's the cool thing to do. So for you to have this other like kind of contrarian view to it is so unique. Where did that even come from? Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? I didn't really consider myself an entrepreneur. I didn't read entrepreneurship books. I took one entrepreneurship class in college and I was the only one with a little sweaty startup and all my all the, the classmates had, you know, tech startups that were scalable and they had ideas around a moat and a new idea. And mm-hmm. when I got up there with my moving and storage company, the professor kept asking me, you know, what are you going to do differently? And I said, I, wh- what do you mean I'm going to answer the phone and do what I say I'm going to do? There's a company right here in town that makes $300,000 of revenue and I'm looking at how they do business and it's not very good. So I'm just going to do a couple things better and try to make a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, d- I didn't overthink it. I didn't overthink it. So let me ask you if you've ever had this said to you, because it's very common uh, in the startup world. Have you ever been told that you're thinking too small? Absolutely. Ah, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a, I think that's part of the, that that was part of my competitive advantage is that I was kind of just excited to make a couple thousand dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, But all my friends who were trying to change the world spent six months before they even talked to a customer. And by then it was kind of too late and they went out and, and got jobs because they needed to pay the bills. (laughs) Oh, exactly. So this is the part, folks, like you guys know, I talk about the startup world and how hard it is. And I'm not saying that doing an SMB or sweaty smartup is any easier, but there is a quicker path to revenue with that versus with startups. And you're trying to do something new. What Nick is saying, a lot of you all feel or we may have side conversations about it, but you're afraid to make that transition because of how you'll be judged of thinking too small by the startup community. So Nick, you talked about how you didn't do an MBA or anything like that in the title of this podcast is Unpolished MBA because we debunked the myth that you need an MBA to be good in business. It's not true. You don't Mm -hmm. need it, right? So you said you took one business class and you recently did a tweet that said, hey, we all know this the MBA isn't about the curriculum. (laughs) Tell us more what you mean by that. What is it about? I think as people, we become kind of a product of our environment. Mm -hmm. If we we hang out with people who are into tech startups and entrepreneurship, we'll likely level up in life. If we hang out with people who are interested in video games and smoking weed and sitting on their couch, we'll likely, you know, level down in life. And I think the the quickest way to become a loser in this world is to hang out with a bunch of losers. And the MBA is the opposite of that. While maybe the curriculum can be argued and whether it's necessary, that can that can all be argued. And I'm I'm probably leaning towards, you know, believing that the curriculum and the actual schoolwork of an MBA is not that important. But what it does do is it gets you in the room with a lot of very driven people, a lot of people who want to make money, people who want to start companies. And when you start to interact with those people, you get to know them, you start to build rapport and fi- figure out ways that you can help each other. I think amazing things happen. So the MBA, while I, w- I didn't go, I didn't get one. Many of the entrepreneurs that I know didn't get one. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's something to be said for the network that you build and the way that you kind of get used to interacting with other people who are like-minded. Very true. It's interesting that you say that. It's definitely a lot about the network. So I, I did do the MBA. I, I didn't have the entrepreneurial network. So for me, it was it was important. But 
I know that it's not for everybody. I also would say that you just mentioned how you meet other driven people, so on and so forth. I think for folks to just meet one person or two people, Mm -hmm. like in a networking event, and you build rapport, they're willing to introduce you to your network. I do it all the time. So folks will come to me, no MBA, no business experience, be like, hey, this is what I'm working on, this is what I'm thinking. If they're a bright person, it's like, hey, they're going to get it no matter what. Mm -hmm. I don't mind introducing them to my network. So they don't need the MBA. I'll give them my MBA network. You're a connector. I'm a connector as well. And if we see people who we think are driven and it's not really about the resume, it's about whether or not they're trying to level up themselves and if they're willing to work hard and if they have grit. I think that's what we're both looking for to kind of help those. Everybody wants to help those type of people. Yep. We all want to help each other, just like mine. But let me let me say this, though. One of the things you, you wrote about recently was how you're, you're going to encourage your kids to do as little homework as possible. <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to you're not going to focus on them doing AP classes and, you know, they won't spend their summers volunteering. They won't score a 30 plus on the ACT or a 1400 on the SAT. They're going to run around and just have fun. Date, maybe drink a few beers before they're 21. <laughs> Uh, dabble in sports, but not take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. You also said they're going to hunt and fish and hike and play golf. And you might even pull them out of school for some fun stuff when it comes up. So I'm going to just tell you right here, this one hits home because I have kids that are on that trajectory, but not because of me. Mm -hmm. It's their own. It's what they see. And it's what they, I think is genetic, honestly. I had a, uh, well, you don't know, but the audience knows I had a high achieving father who I I did not know until I was 21. So part of who I am is really genetic. It's not from what I've seen. And so it's been passed on to my kids who score 1400s on SATs, who want to become doctors. And I don't know anything about that. So that's amazing. That's amazing. So I say all this to say when I speak to folks of younger children like yourself, you don't know who your kids are going to be just yet. Because I have I had no expectations for them to be doing all of this. And now I'm running in circles, doing all the things that you say you're not going to have your kids do. (laughs) So I just want to tell you, give us some time. Where did this post come from? What was happening? I mean, yeah, on on Twitter, I kind of tease out one side of an argument. And while I I understand that everything is a little bit more nuanced and and I'm going to let my kids grow up and and see, you know, what they're interested in and what drives them. But I, I, I think just in general, we're in kind of an era where there's a lot of parents who, you know, make the their children, the center of their entire world. And they're trying to live vicariously through their children. They're trying, you know, they're, they're getting way too obsessed and into the sports and, and, you know, athletic machines that are built around, you know, these kids. And I just, I don't know that I'm going to chase uh, a, a prestigious degree or do the work required to get my kid into these schools. I think when I got into Cornell, I'm an Ivy leaguer. I had an amazing experience. I owe that university, you know, almost all of what I've accomplished because of who it put me in the room with. But nowadays getting in that school for my kids is going to be something that, as you know, you have to, you have to ace those exams. You have to take all the AP classes and you have to kind of build your world around getting in. And I just don't, I think there's more to life than that. So I'm going to encourage my kids to kind of be kids and, and go out and make mistakes and, and live and kind of experience what the real world is like instead of kind of living a book and, uh, you know, make a world out of, you know, studying and, and learning science and calculus and these things that, yeah, they're very applicable, but, you know, 90% of people never use that in the never real world. Never use them. Mm-hmm. That's true. You also mentioned that, you know, you'll probably take them out of school and have some fun. 
I'm not trying to convince you, but you just never know who your kids are mm-hmm. going to be. And to be good at something doesn't necessarily mean it takes them a lot of effort. So I just say that because I have two that are like that. And I would feel bad if I pushed them to not be whatever it is that they're striving for and to encourage them to just have more fun because they're having fun to them. What's fun to us is not necessarily what's fun to them. So just be open to whatever whatever they, they want. That's good advice. I appreciate that. And I say that because you posted a, you recently posted a, a picture of them. They're super cute and so little <laughs> sweet. And I get, I remember mine being that age. So good times. I applaud you and your wife. You've shared a, quite a bit, you know, about how you do things online. And you and I kind of had a little bit of a headbutt where you, <laughs> you kind of was like, okay, great. Now, who do you think you are? So you mentioned that, hey, who says you can't get up in the morning and just look at your phone? And scroll through first thing in the morning. Like, that's that's nonsense. And then I just get up and, you know, I take the kids to school. Like, you can be good at multiple things. And I'm like, oh, yeah, who got the kids dressed for school and <laughs> fed? And you was like, oh, great. Yeah, you went. Like, <laughs> so, but with that in mind, how do you maintain just being super busy with the multiple companies you're involved in and mm-hmm. being a family man? Like, how how are you doing this? I, I would lie to you if I said it was easy. That's that's for sure. I think there's nothing more exciting for somebody like me. And it sounds like you're wired similarly to me as as kind of chasing entrepreneurship and and building companies and building organizations and and the feeling that you get when you're making decisions without you know complete information and then you wait two three weeks or years to see the results of those decisions. I think that's there's nothing more fun and exciting than watching customers come in and and building something awesome. But I. I I've taken delegation very, very seriously. So I don't have any direct reports in my companies except for one or two. And I've, I've kind of taken delegation far enough to where I'm not just delegating tasks and having other people do tasks for me, but I'm delegating decision-making so that these people who work for me, they're very well-paid and, and they're motivated and they, can, and they can make decisions well. And that allows me to not be the bottleneck and the company can grow and operate and, and execute without me being involved, which... I'm always involved. I'm always watching, but I can go, I can kind of step away for a week or two and the company can grow and the company can make decisions and it can kind of live and, and breathe and grow without me. So uh, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard. That's smart. What, what's your day-to-day look like? I, you know, keep, keep growing my media brand. I think it kind of accelerates all my companies. We have the flywheel now of, of my companies interacting closely with each other and, and, and the, and the fact that my you know, brand and all my followers and my email newsletter kind of feeds the whole machine. So I, I spend a lot of time teaching. I spend a lot of time writing on the internet. And then the other half of my time I spend, you know, in the weeds with my operators, you know, running and growing these companies. That's my work day. And then the rest of the time I'm playing golf or going on date nights with my wife or going last night we went kayaking with my with my son at the at local pond and we went swimming and had a good old time and I'm gonna take take my three year old to a movie here and after we get off with this podcast. So just try to work in a little bit of everything. That's good. You have 10 businesses right now. And we're talking about everything from your storage, your real estate, private equity, you know, storage mm-hmm. company, your business brokerage now, right? You have the recruiting company, Filipino Latin American uh, recruiting company. You have a USA recruiting company. You have web development. You have an SEO company. You now have a PPC marketing company, cost segment studies company, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 
property insurance company and the media company. So when you say media company, what is that? What does that include? Yeah, the media company is kind of I run a I run a crew of video editors, audio editors for my two okay. podcasts. I run my social media accounts and I'm preparing for a, a book launch. So all the you know online stuff where people can read and and follow me online is kind of under the media brand. Okay. And folks, we're gonna I'm gonna put all of these on in the show notes so you guys can see links to each one. So Nick, you have all of these things, whereas most people would be like, okay, these aren't companies you founded. They're ones that you bought equity in or or have part ownership in, correct? Mm -hmm. I founded most of them. Yeah, I invested in, I've invested in uh, the Filipino and Latin American recruiting company. That one already existed, but all the rest of them were new new ideas that I kind of founded with an operating partner. Okay, very smart. You mentioned in a in a recent tweet about how, you know what, I'm never going to do this whole affiliate thing again because like I make the money and, you know, I get very little. Moving forward, if it's a business that I can use or that I do use, I'm going to find a way to own a part of it. How, how far are you willing to take this? I think the mind-blowing thing is just how much it's grown over the past two years. And if you're unfamiliar, if you're listening, my my Twitter account has went from you know, 80,000 followers and a million impressions a month to 300,000 followers and and 50 million impressions a month. And, you know, uh, half a billion people have seen my tweets in the last year. So the power of that, when I when I tweet on entrepreneurship and investing and, and small business and management and real estate, um, I attract people who are in this game and they're running companies and they're managing people. So the power of my recommendations and people, who, you know, trust me, they, they get a look into my brain all day, every day on Twitter. They listen to my words on podcasts like this. They read my newsletter each week and they trust me. So when I recommend a service that I've used and that I, I find is a, is a benefit for my company, it can it can explode. And, you know, a couple examples of that have happened in the past where, you know, a business will triple or, or 4X in size and if I'm just getting a cut of revenue and they can get rid of me at any time, it's kind of a lot of enterprise value that I'm creating for other folks. So I, I you know, I'm going to spend the next five years of my company of my life building out my own holding, you know, company of 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 service companies that I own and, and you know have equity in. I want you guys to pay attention to this. Social media is more than just about scrolling through and seeing funny and silly mm-hmm. stuff. Nick's tweets, though controversial sometimes, folks call them clickbait. That particular one, for example, got me thinking like, yeah, I'm, I have an affiliation with several different companies that I use and it's gotten me to think differently about that. So folks, that's great. You, know, you do have an impact. People make fun of you on Twitter. How does that make you feel? They make fun of you talking about storage and, you know. Yeah, I've gotten, uh, it, it hurts when a reputable member of the community and somebody that I've met in person or somebody that's a respected entrepreneur mm-hmm. takes shots at me. That happens a lot. And, you know, that's a little bit hurtful. I've kind of learned to to fade out the fact that a lot of people are mean. I mean, look at look yeah. any politician, any politician on Twitter, you look at the responses, Democrat, Republican, it's just a lot of very mean people saying very mean things. Any any superstar athlete, you know, we have the greatest basketball player in the world out on the court and we get to watch him every year. His name's LeBron James and you should see the way people respond to his tweets on Twitter. There's just so much hate. And I think it's just it's part of the world, it's part of the goes with the territory. If you're going to do big things, if you're going to have a big reach and if you're going to put yourself out there with your own opinions and be yourself, you're going to have a lot of people who disagree and a lot of people who attack you for it. And I've just learned to uh, tune it out. But yeah, absolutely. It, it does get hurtful sometimes, but it's just part of it. So does that mean that everything you tweet, you mean 
right? You're not just trying no, to. I, uh-huh. I think I think uh, there, there's a lot of nuance and, and Twitter is is only, you know, 260 characters. So mm-hmm. I don't I wouldn't be an interesting person to follow and I wouldn't, you know, get anybody to click on my stuff or, or read along or look at the comments if I took a very nuanced approach and I always teased out the intricate details of each side's argument. Right. So I actually I can use Twitter to learn really fast. And if I have a something that I think might be true about business, about management, about entrepreneurship, I'll make a post on Twitter taking one side, taking a firm stance on one side, even though I am not even sure myself. I'll just argue one side of it very well. And sure enough, every single time, the discussion will start and really smart people will start to chime in and say, well, Nick, have you thought about it this way? Have you thought about it that way? And you can learn really fast by, you know, I I have a, I have, it's a blessing and a curse in that it's a curse because you get addicted to it, but it's a blessing because I can I can reach out and get into the minds of thousands of people to click at the click of a button. So I can learn really fast when those people start to give me feedback and tell me what I might be missing. So on that topic still, you did a post that, hey, you know, everyone is watching you build in public every day and you ask folks for feedback. And do you think there's any blind spot that you have? And this one particular guy, so I'm just going to read his mm-hmm. his tweet real, real quick. He says, honestly, man, I'd be a touch worried about your personal safety. There are a lot of crazies on the Internet and your content strategy, while very smart, will inflame them. Anyone who knows what they are doing could find your address. I worry someone shows up one day. How do you feel about that? Did that make you, you know, take a moment to think? Yeah, I have been thinking more and more about that lately. I do want to get a different house that nobody knows where I live. I have a good security system in my house. I don't have any cash or anything valuable here in my home. And I do think about protecting my family and what I need to do to do that. But look, I'm, I'm, there's millions of people who are wealthier than me in the United States. Every, every, you know, public figure, you know, politician, head football coach here at Georgia and Athens, every athlete, every coach in any of the five major sports, they all have public salaries. Everybody knows how much money they make. So I don't know that just sharing what I'm up to in business will do that. Yeah. And I think if, if somebody's crazy enough, if somebody's crazy enough to think that I'm, you know, that a lot of these jokes that I make on Twitter are not indeed jokes and I, and I'm a, mm-hmm. and I'm a bad person. I think that's, I think that's unlikely to happen. So I I don't know. I, I do spend time thinking about it, especially since I have kids now. But mm-hmm. I like to think that I like to think that nobody's going to show up and execute. Yeah, it. and I don't think it's more it's it's more so. I don't think it's related to like how much money you have. People are already, always you know counting other people's pockets. That's what we say. You know, mm-hmm. no folks don't know how much money anyone has, and but they think they have an idea. But outside of that, I really don't think it's on that. I'm more concerned that in this environment we're in folks just out of disagreement be like oh i hate you know they literally start to hate as we talked about there's a lot of hate and just out of a disagreement um people don't believe they can still like someone that they disagree on a topic with i don't believe that you're a bad person because you're okay with finding low-cost countries that want to work for your businesses for cheaper than americans but it really makes some folks angry. And this world is just kind of sick. We saw January 6th. So not to be too political, but, you know, sometimes folks just aren't rational. 
And just as a yeah. wife and a mother, I had to ask that question because, you mm -hmm. know, the response he made, I would have never thought of that. Uh, it's 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 part of what comes it, it comes with the territory of what I'm doing. I, I hope that I, I like to hope that, you know, I call it the woke mob and all these people that are on Twitter under anonymous handles that that really jump in and call me names when I say say, say things about running companies and hiring, you know, people in Philippines or whatever. I like to think that they're not going to care enough about some stranger on the internet doing this, that they're going to chase me down, especially when they have an iPhone in their hand that was, you know, assembled in Bangladesh for $2 an hour <laughs> right. by a 14-year-old. So it's just part, it's, it's part of it. Yeah, it is a negative. It is a negative. But look, this distribution has changed my life. It's allowed me to build companies and it's allowed me to do what I, what I love the most, which is teach people and, and reach more people and positively influence more and more people. So uh, the trade-off's worth it. If I am a casualty of bad luck and a crazy takes me out, then everybody should know that I lived a, I lived a pretty darn good life. And it's a shame that it went early, but hey, hey, uh, you drive down the street, you take a risk of dying in a car accident. Yes. I'm not going to not be myself on the internet because a crazy could find me and chase me down. But I have a feeling that most of these crazies that get mad about me doing this are hanging out in their parents' basement playing World of Warcraft and they're too lazy to get a job. So they're definitely too lazy to come find me. You know what? We're not even going to think that way. Having you on it's a good chance for folks to just see who you are as a person. And that's most people that I interview. That's what this podcast is about. I talk with smart and interesting people and have done great, great things in, in, in the world, but most people don't know they exist. And mm -hmm. so my point is for folks to just get to know people as a person. And I've seen mm -hmm. how your posts have inflamed folks, but I want to, I want to just, you may or may not remember this or have seen this. But I first learned of you during the pandemic when we were still like lockdowns back and forth, mass everywhere. I don't know how I came across your podcast. And I had listened to an episode that was really incredibly heart wrenching. You had experienced a death in the family and you're like, man, I, I got to travel and I got to leave my family. And this is just like crazy, like the stuff you have to do when you're an entrepreneur. And I sent you a, I sent you a DM and I was just like, you know, thanks for sharing that. My husband used to travel a lot for work and no matter what came up, you know, I had to deal with whatever needs to happen because he had to go to work and, you know, that's mm -hmm. hard. And so I just appreciated you sharing that. So that was way before the famous, you know, controversial Nick now. So when I see your post, I know that that's just a public perception. And so bringing you on the podcast so folks can hear more about you, but also see you as the human Nick <laughs> before the controversy of Twitter. Well, I hope the I hope the controversial stuff people can see through too. I hope that they read the rest of my tweets, not just the ones that get a lot of, you know, not not just the jokes that go viral. I hope they, you know, read the other ones about how I think about business and life and management and they you know should. making the world a better place. Yeah. And they don't have to agree with everything, you know, <laughs> they don't have to agree with everything to to learn from a lot of what you share. I appreciate so, it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being on. And with that, I want to thank you for joining. And everyone, I'm going to have links to all of uh, Nick's businesses, his Twitter, so you can jump in on, <laughs> on all of the fun that we all get to see. And with that, Nick, I want to thank you for joining us. Monique, thanks for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. 
To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.